0: Hey everybody, I'm Eric,
1: and I'm Kristen,
0: and today today we we watched watched Seven Psychopaths, Psychopaths, directed by Martin McDonagh,
1: and starring Colin Farrell,
0: Woody Harrelson,
1: and Sam Rockwell.
0: This movie uh, was suggested by Kristen. Um, I had already seen it, um, but I did not mind watching it at all, Um, watching it again at all. Uh, Let me just read the the brief synopsis real quick a struggling screenwriter inadvertently becomes entangled in the los angeles criminal underworld after his oddball friends kidnap a gangster's beloved shih tzu why did you choose this movie or why Uh, Yeah, why did you choose this movie to to review?
1: Well, my boyfriend recommended it to me to watch. He said I might like the humor in it, which I thought was funny because it was entitled Seven Psychopaths. I didn't think it could be all that humorous. (laughs) But after watching it, I did see it had a little bit of a quirky spirit to it. It kind of exposed a more emotional side of the psychopaths. I guess thought process when they go on a killing and it was interesting. I also liked the uh, a film about making a film concept it had.
0: What are some similar movies that, that you've enjoyed?
1: The style and the dialogue of the film actually reminded me of movies directed by Guy Ritchie like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels or um, also Smoking Aces that's not Guy Ritchie but it's kind of along the same lines these kind of criminal or gangster movies that are a little bit more pleasant to watch. They're not so focused on, I guess, violence or anger, but they're a little bit more witty.
0: I think my favorite Guy Ritchie film is probably Snatch.
1: Oh yeah, that's fantastic.
0: I can definitely see the the similarities um, between those styles.
1: Even the characters in both Guy Ritchie movies and... Uh, seven psychopaths they seem way too calm for what's actually going on they're all very calm cool and collected and surprisingly just not okay but comfortable with what's going on
0: (laughs) if you enjoy comedies and crime comedies that are um have that this kind of feel um that kristen's talking about you should definitely check this movie out. I did not see this until it was out on video, and I take it you did as well.
1: Yeah, I saw it just this past year, actually, from uh, purchasing it instantly on Amazon, watching it there.
0: It was on Netflix for a little while, but it's not currently, unfortunately. Right. Um, but I own it on Blu-ray. I oh, definitely yeah. recommend um, owning this film, because I... Uh, If you like it, I think you'll want to watch it at least a couple of times.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: All right, so that's kind of a quick overview of this film without any spoilers. So now, spoilers ahoy, we're going to talk more in detail uh, about everything that happens in the movie and all that kind of stuff. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet and you... sounds like it's something that's interesting to you, then uh, stop listening right now and go watch the movie and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode. What I find the hook of this film is is that it is a film about writing a film. And a lot of times whenever I start reading the summary of a movie and it starts with those three words, a struggling screenwriter, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit. Because um, it's, it's done a lot. But I think in this movie, it's really, it, it's really important that that is the main character's job. Because it really drives a lot of the what happens in the film. Or it, it entirely drives what happens in the film. Uh, so the, the main character is Colin Farrell. And he's working on a screenplay for uh, Seven Psychopaths. And um, his friend, played by Sam Rockwell, is pretty much helping him write it by being inspiration and also, all, at times, flat out saying, "Hey, help! Help me! Uh, let me help you write it."
1: Yeah, I don't think uh, Colin Farrell's character quite understands just how much his friend Billy wants to help. In the beginning he bothers him a lot, saying, you know, let me help you write it, and he refuses, of course, because he wants to be in charge of his own movie, but whether he knows it or not, uh, Billy tells him stories about psychopaths that influence his character development. And I don't think he understands just how much he takes from Billy until he calls him out about it.
0: Part of that is, um, Billy tells Marty that very early in the film that Marty has a bit of a drinking problem. Oh, yeah. And that also kind of makes it difficult for Marty to realize how interested Billy is in helping him, um, and also it also it makes him forget where he's getting a lot of these stories. This, this film is all about the storytelling, both the film itself, but also the stories that are told in the film. Uh, by Marty and by, well, pretty much everyone tells some kind of story at some point.
1: Yeah, I think the there's a couple different subplots that are going on in the movie besides the writing of seven psychopaths that actually introduce real-life psychopaths. And I think that might be what the movie is trying to portray In the film about a film concept, sometimes writers are trying to look for these fictional characters that are larger than life and interesting, but they find those same qualities in the events that are happening around them, and I think that surprises them. So, Billy, besides being Marty's friend and wanting to help him write the screenplay, is also involved in a dog napping, or as they call it, dog borrowing business, where he and an associate named Hans uh, kidnap people's dogs, and then return them to collect reward money after a few days. And uh, they deem, or the narrator of the story deems them to be psychopaths for that. They end up stealing the dog of a mob boss who kills whoever he doesn't like, who is also deemed a psychopath. So as the movie goes on, we find these psychopath characters in real life, whereas Marty's trying to find them in fiction.
0: Billy is kind of the bridge between the two that he keeps. He's like really pushing all of these psychopaths onto Marty to like use them in the story, and yeah. even at at one point, Billy he it, he takes out a uh, it's like a personals ad or a, or what do they call that um,
1: classified classified yes
0: go. he takes out an ad in the classified section um asking for psychopaths to come tell uh tell them their story and oh yeah i forget i i don't remember if the guy has a name but there's uh there's one main guy that comes out of that and he has a rabbit
1: yeah that would be zachariah
0: yeah and so that guy comes back like pretty much in the middle of the credits Mm and after the 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 screenplay and the movie is a, su- a success.
1: What he wanted is zachariah's story. He was a um a ser- part of a serial killing team with his wife at the time. And after all of their exploits, his wife left him. Uh just disappeared. And so when he was telling Marty his story, he asked if it could be used in the film and also asked if he could put Zachariah's contact information at the end, so his wife, if she saw it, could contact him, and they could be reunited. He was hoping that the movie could help him, you know, find his wife again. I think that's the first time uh, Colin Farrell's character Marty sees kind of a more emotional or human side of the psychopaths he was picturing. Um, I don't think it was quite what he was expecting to find, which, you know, plays a huge part later in the story. At the end, marty forgets to put zachariah's information at the end and zachariah says that he will come and kill him because of it so kind of comes full circle there
0: yeah that, i thought that was really cool um
1: oh i loved it
0: all, all of these characters there there are two sequences that were my favorite sequences of the film uh the first one was uh oh okay, you so, well okay well let's finished talking about what what actually happened so
1: okay i think we were billy
0: and hans
1: yeah billy and hans steal
0: this shih tzu that belongs to Woody harrelson's character charlie uh, charlie yeah
1: the mafia boss
0: and he he'll he'll kill anyone at the drop of a hat and uh so they have his dog and also uh billy is sleeping with his wife
1: i think it's just a girlfriend or just
0: girlfriend yeah um anyway that kind of makes things even more complicated with um what's going on there and uh so they kidnap the dog and uh basically billy is doing all of this to help uh help marty find inspiration for this screenplay um, or at least he says that at some point. Um, mm-hmm. He also is an actual psychopath. But
1: Billy and Hans in the dog napping business, you know, steal the mafia boss's dog. And when he finds out who is stealing, he discovers Hans's name. Uh, he goes to the hospital where Hans's wife is actually currently committed. She's suffering from breast cancer.
0: Oh right, right, yeah.
1: And if he finds out that. Hans and Billy have been using the money from their dog borrowing business to pay for the wife's medical bills. He goes to the hospital to wait for Hans to show up and kills his wife. When Hans comes to the hospital and discovers what happens, he reveals to Hans that he is the Quaker psychopath, previously told by Marty. Um, But of course, Charlie, the mob boss, doesn't know that story. He's just a little freaked out, doesn't know who Hans is, so he leaves. Then Billy, Marty, and Hans escape and run away to the desert, where Billy reveals he's kind of been the puppet master in leading the Mafia boss to them. You know, to help Marty write the story. Of course, Marty is furious. They hide out in the desert. Billy calls the Mafia boss, tells them exactly where they are, and invites him to come pick up the dog. But he confesses to Marty and Hans that he wants there to be some kind of magnificent final shootout. He writes out a sequence involving all the psychopaths of Marty's creation. And where everything ends up well and good. Because Marty confesses that in the end he wants his movie to have a happy ending. But Billy doesn't think it could turn out that way.
0: (laughs) That's my first... Of the two favorite sequences, Mm -hmm. um, is this whole storytelling that Billy does, uh, just describing and acting out this action sequence with the final showdown, and it's just so—it's
1: hilarious. Well,
0: well made. the 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 humor of it, the action, um, the intercutting between the fantasy and him just there next to the campfire yep. is just incredibly incredibly well done um and probably the most quotable stuff from the whole movie comes from that scene
1: oh agreed billy kind of just in general brings the comedic relief for the movie he's so at ease and surprisingly happy about all this tragedy that's going on his commentary is just priceless okay after that hans Uh, goes off into the desert and claims that he has seen his dead wife speaking about the afterlife after he has eaten a little bit of a cactus flower which has some hallucinogens in it and when he returns that's when Billy confesses that he called the mafia boss who drives up soon after and he was told to come unarmed and alone which he does and when he gets out of the car Billy shoots him in the back
0: And uh, Billy is really pissed that he didn't bring a gun or anything.
1: Yep. He's He's surprisingly upset because he told him to come unarmed and alone. And the mafia boss says, that's what you wanted, so I did it. But he's not very pleased with it. He kept saying, who doesn't bring a gun to a final shootout? And I think that's the first time Marty realizes that Billy has an ultimatum in everything that's been happen- happening, he has a plan.
0: There's a character, it's the first psychopath we see at the beginning of the film, the Jack mm-hmm. of Diamonds.
1: Oh, yes. Um,
0: I'm not sure I quite caught this time or the first time, like, I didn't pinpoint exactly when, um, when Marty realizes that Billy is the Jack of Diamonds.
1: I can't remember if Marty, I know the, the audience... uh that's explained to the audience but i don't know if marty gets it until the very very end of the movie after all is said and done
0: right when he um uh when he pulls out the jack of diamonds and puts it on the dog's collar possibly oh yeah um so he definitely knows by then but Or, or actually did he drive away before that he did that
1: Oh, he drove he drove away prior because uh Billy was doing that as uh Billy was doing that as he was dying, if I remember.
0: Right. Yeah. I, th-
1: I think I think the details are a little fuzzy.
0: <laughs> Regardless of when he actually realizes it, I I felt like that kind of um I guess that's a form of irony, uh dramatic irony that we yes. know that he is Uh, this character that he's writing about um but marty himself doesn't necessarily know yet
1: right after the mob boss is shot billy uh sees that he has a flare gun the mob boss bought a flare gun and originally thought it was meant to be used as a weapon and he's just convinced that there's no way the mob boss could have come alone, it's just not right, it's not the plan that he wanted, so he asks, asks Marty to drive the mob, mob boss down the mountain. And as they drive away, he realizes that the flare gun was supposed to be a signal of some kind, and he shoots it off, and the mob boss's henchmen, who are down at the base of the mountain, uh, come running, but not before they encounter Hans, who they recognize as the dognapper. And they mean to shoot Hans and as they see the flare gun go off they look and Hans starts to take something out of his jacket which they think is going to be a weapon so they shoot him but it's a recording device we don't find out more about that till the very end the henchmen drive up the mountain and they meet back up with Billy and the boss where they have the final shootout And Marty is there, but Billy asks him to leave, and when Marty says no, I want to stay with you, Billy says, nope, I told you this movie ends my way. I think that's Marty's, like, immediate moment of clarity when he realizes that, like, just how much of an influence Billy had on the situation and on his screenplay. He kind of figures out that Billy had a plan this whole time, and no matter what, he was going to make sure it ended the way he wanted it to
0: end. Well, after Marty drives away, um, Charlie's gun jams um, during uh, because Billy's giving him a countdown. Uh, he has to to count a five or he's gonna shoot the dog in in its head. Oh and that <laughs> that is one of my favorite quotes is he, he uh, I forget exactly what Billy says. But uh, Woody Harrelson, uh, Charlie says he doesn't have a gay head; he just has a normal head. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but it th- that that kind of sums up the entire movie as far as the humor goes. That something like really serious or really violent could be happening or about to happen, and something really, uh, really light-hearted and funny will slip in there.
1: Yep. I think it's another testament too. it seems as though all of these psychopaths, again, who are supposed to be just bloodthirsty, remorseless criminals, have this surprising soft side for things, you know, like a mob boss probably wouldn't be so concerned about a shih tzu, but he just falls to pieces every time he thinks something bad is going to happen to his dog. It's just, it's not what you would expect from psychopaths.
0: Yeah, and I think that, um... I think that says a lot about Woody Harrelson especially, because whenever he showed his soft side for the dog, I like really felt bad for him.
1: Oh, yeah. And, it, was so,
0: it was so sad. Yeah. Um, okay, so he, he gives him the count of five, uh, counting down from five to fix his gun so that they can finish the, the final showdown and um no standoff that's what he calls it.
1: the final standoff <laughs> yeah.
0: and it, it, at that point it's obvious that even like if it wasn't already obvious that billy wants this showdown to happen and he isn't looking to win it um right and so he he restarts the countdown after charlie (laughs) asks nicely and
1: yep
0: and uh billy gets shot in the head yeah which uh is a bummer
1: i liked billy i really did i was so upset (laughs) yeah i
0: yeah i mean i liked everybody in this movie it's yeah uh, all the actors are just amazing in their characters um
1: they're all just so relatable. Again, I just love how... The, I love that writing. You know, these are supposed to be people you don't like. You should not really have a kind of sympathy for what they're doing. But they were all just so... You felt for them.
0: And actually, the, probably the character I liked the least was Marty. Marty.
1: Oh, yeah, because he, he always whined about everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So Billy's shot, um, and the police finally find their way there, and they arrest Charlie and his main henchman. Mm-hmm. What's his name? The guy I honestly, that was on Heroes for, like, a season.
1: I honestly don't remember.
0: Sometimes IMDb's, like, cast list is just so weird. Because, uh, Woody Harrelson is halfway down. I know. Michael Pitt is at the top. When I see his name, oh, was, never mind. His name is not familiar. Zeljko Ivanek. What? <laughs> He's always kind of like a top-level FBI type guy, or yeah deep in the mob that kind of character yeah but i will definitely not remember his name (laughs) the next time i see him um uh anyway they get arrested um and then that's the point where he finds the tape recorder
1: yes marty finds the tape recorder that hans had
0: And this this is my second, this is the other favorite sequence. Um, So it's kind of interesting that they're both uh, when characters are telling a story. Mm -hmm. Um, So earlier in the film, we saw um, the film version of the scene with this Vietnamese um, guy Mm -hmm. um, who is in a motel, and he has a prostitute there with him, and the first time we see that scene, it's how Marty wrote it, which was very... I'd say it's kind of, like, cheesy. Yeah! Um, especially the 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 prostitute character. She's really the uh, stereotype one-dimensional character. Later on, before Hans dies, he's a that's his biggest criticism of Marty's screenplay, is that all of the female characters are awful, basically. Yeah. Like there's no effort put into them, really. And they just serve to be uh, kind of placeholders that get killed off quickly.
1: Yep. So with this Buddhist, char- uh, excuse me, Vietnamese character, it was the one psychopath that Marty just couldn't quite figure out the perfect situation. He didn't exactly know how to pin down this psychopath's motive or history. Um, He played around several times with, you know, instead of having a Vietnamese psychopath, like a Buddhist uh, character, he eventually settled that this would be a former Viet Cong warrior whose entire family and village was killed in war, who is now in America set to... um, send uh, this prostitute character in strapped to dynamite to kill several people who were in charge of, you know, killing his village, or so he thinks. And in Marty's version, it's just, it seems very cheesy, very stereotypical uh, killer. He just sends in dynamite and kills everyone. And Christopher Watkins' character, Hans, is just so dissatisfied with it. thinks it could be better, especially if Marty's looking to have some kind of peaceful happy ending so when Marty finds the recorder he listens to Hans saying I think I finally figured out this Vietnamese psychopath for you he describes the scene where this Vietnamese psychopath is sitting down and the prostitute character comes out but instead of you know being in her underwear she's in a very classy red dress and She notices that the Vietnamese psychopath is just upset and beside himself. He's shaking. He's covered in sweat. He doesn't know what to do. And she speaks fluent Vietnamese. Apparently she studied it at Yale, according to Hans. And she asks what is wrong. The the Vietnamese man says that he heard in his head a voice saying desist, brother. You know this will not help us. And of course, you know, he shrugs it off, doesn't know what to do, and sends the girl in with dynamite strapped to her into a conference room. He has gasoline and he pours it all over the room. And were recalled smelling gasoline earlier. He lights a match and right before he's about to throw it, the woman, the prostitute in perfect Vietnamese, again says, desist brother. And we see the Vietnamese psychopath close his eyes and when he opens, he's Completely in a different place. He's seated in a town square back in his village and he's wearing like ceremonial religious robes. He's covered in gasoline. And now we find that he's actually trying to make a stance or a statement of freedom by lighting himself on fire within the square. And another monk comes up to him and says, Desist, brother, you know this will not help us, as he heard before. But he continues and lights himself on fire, and Hans explains that it was more a statement of peace. But
0: before he does it, he says, uh, perhaps it will, or something like that. Yeah,
1: something, something of the like. And so, in that, Marty finds his story for the Vietnamese psychopath. And Hans goes on to talk just a little bit more casually, which... Again, brings a little bit of humor to an otherwise serious situation, which is consistent with the style of the film.
0: Yeah, he's kind of like, or you know, something like that. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah,
1: he's like, I don't know, just thought of it. It's it's just very candid. I love the little moments like that in the show.
0: So he he writes this the screenplay, Mm -hmm. and it's made into a film, and it's a big success or somewhat of it's some kind of success. And then goes to credits and then um that other scene um with the the uh, zachariah yes that happens um during the credits right um i can't remember i don't think anything else happens after that
1: not after that but i just realized i forgot we forgot to mention a very very important part of the plot here (laughs) earlier uh if, if i may earlier we mentioned that hans turned out to be the quaker psychopath Mm -hmm. that marty was writing about and billy you know called him out for stealing a story that he had already told him he said that he told marty the quaker psychopath story months ago and he just forgot because marty's a drunk and marty at one point around the campfire is telling hans about his seven psychopaths and starts to tell the story of the quaker psychopath and billy tries to stop him But Hans insists that he continues and then takes, in the story, the Quaker psychopath is following the killer of his daughter and trying to intimidate him for what he's done. And at the end, the killer uh, commits suicide because he knows that that's in hell will be the one place that he won't see the Quaker. But right before he dies, he sees the Quaker slit his own throat. And commit suicide as well in you know insinuating that he will follow him and always be there to haunt him so as marty is telling the story hans removes a scarf that he always wears to reveal a long scar across his neck
0: it's, show- a, it's a it's a cravat
1: a carve a cavat yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's very specific about that and that's when we uh that's when Marty finds out that Hans is the Quaker psychopath and that, again, another one of his supposedly fictional stories is real. So, I just completely f- forgot about that part. That's incredibly important to the story. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Hans clears up several details. You know, he mentions that um, he w- did not follow the killer alone but went with his wife who, you know, is suffering from breast cancer. Mm-hmm. It's just again it's just so humorous even such such a serious story Hans almost like nonchalantly clears up details of the story
0: Um it it definitely could have like any at any point in this movie it could have been really depressing or just like you just don't want to watch any more of it but because it's such a great mix of I'd say this is um All right since now we've covered everything that happens in the movie um i forgot how much i like this movie um because i had seen it probably the two years ago shortly after it came out on video and uh it's i'd say that this is my favorite black comedy uh it's just so funny but also there's just so much awful stuff that happens that shouldn't be funny but it is oh definitely and that's just how amazingly well it's written uh and directed by uh, martin mcdonough and also incredibly well acted by the entire cast yeah um like i, I can't even think of anybody that was bad in this I'm not sure about Sam Rockwell, but uh, at least the other two. I think this is my favorite movie of theirs. Probably Sam Rockwell too. I really liked Moon, um, but that's not quite. That's not as funny as this movie is.
1: Yeah, I know this is definitely my favorite movie where I've seen Christopher Walken. You know, he just you know he always kind of plays a a dr- a dry character, for lack of a better word, or someone who's very serious. And I think this one combines, you know, that talent of his to play a serious, darker character, but also shows a lighter side. And it's just, you you don't really expect it coming from him, but he plays it so well.
0: Yeah, it's something I thought about a lot is that, uh, at least in this film, Christopher Walken makes me, at times, he's, like, very intimidating, or, like, seems like somebody you don't want to to be disappointed in you or that kind of thing, but at other times like, with just a smile, he like just gives off this joy that uh, is probably only matched by, by Sam Rockwell in this film anyway. Yeah, um, agreed. Uh, but just just with a, a Christopher Walken smile it is just, uh pretty uplifting i'd say
1: yep agree.
0: uh the look of this film um so the production design um how it was shot all that kind of thing I, I i thought it definitely has a specific style to it um but it's not something that's uh that i found it was never distracting to me no um
1: Everything, the settings, the cost—excuse uh, me—the yeah, the costumes, just the character that they bring is very commonplace. It was—it was never outrageous. It seemed as though um, everything was happening just right in your backyard, which I think is kind of what uh, the design was going for.
0: Yeah, definitely, and there was uh, also a distinct difference between the real life stuff and the, the, the film version of what Marty was writing. Um, uh, most obviously the difference with the actors playing the characters, because in the screenplay version you had uh, Harry Dean Stanton playing the Quaker, uh, where of course in quote-unquote, real-life Christopher Walken as the Quaker, um, and stuff like that. So not only the casting, but also the feel and look of those sequences um, were very... I was never confused uh, about what was real and what wasn't, Um, and that could have potentially been pretty confusing, I think. Yeah, agreed. All right, uh, let's talk about the sound.
1: I thought the song choice Was I think it was very, very well done. Whenever we were in, uh, quote, quote, real-life situations, um, it wasn't any kind of fantastic orchestral score, but there were songs you might hear on the radio, and some of them had kind of interesting or funny lyrics to go with the situation. For Mm -hmm. example, the first song of the film is, uh, The First Cut is the Deepest.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Which, of course, in the song is portraying a relationship situation, but I thought it was interesting that they would place it right alongside murder. And if that's the song we find at the end of the movie, too. comes full circle there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they were all just very, again, relaxed, kind of casual tunes, which kind of was oddly placed, seeing as, again, you're dealing with murder. Mm -hmm. the more like uplifting songs and then for the actual movie murder sequences that's when you get a little bit more dramatic orchestral pieces um opera or very intense just musical score which is what you would pretty much expect in a horror movie some kind of intimidating music to go along with the scene
0: how did you feel uh walking out of this room or walking out of this film um closing the window or whatever like uh what do you think the message was
1: i think the message is even though no matter how horrible the situation or how terrible you think someone could be is that everything they do has an emotional side to it or they have struggles and pains behind what they're doing and in the case of the psychopaths we saw Yes, they committed some terrible crimes, but there was a much deeper meaning behind all of it. Whether it was love, or hate, or loss, it was something that fueled them, a sensitive side. I think it's maybe somewhere along the lines of don't judge a book by its cover, or that, you know, sometimes even the most horrific events have a benign meaning behind them.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I th- also think uh, along with that, uh, the as I was saying before, that this movie is all about storytelling. And along with that, it's uh, at least in the Quaker story, you have multiple versions of the same story being told. And uh, it kind of um, it highlights the fact that uh, point of view makes a huge difference. Uh, where, what perspective do you have on an event or a series of events? And um, and along with what you're saying, it, one person may interpret it this way because they don't know uh, all the events leading up to it, why they're doing what they're doing, and that kind of thing.
1: I wonder if part of it too, um, you know, looking at everything from marty's perspective again he's trying to write some kind of fictional fantastic story and he thinks that what he's writing about could only exist in that fictional realm but as he discovers that they're more real these people and these feelings and these motives are real and present before him he realizes that maybe he shouldn't be using them in the way that he is kind of in the way when if you make you know probably a a joke that's not tasteful and pokes fun at a certain person when you realize that they're actually hurt by what you're saying you feel a little bit guilty for exploiting it. I think that resonates with Marty in the movie and I saw a hint of it kind of felt that way leaving the movie as well.
0: And I'm curious to to see what Marty's next screenplay is about.
1: Yeah at the end of the movie he seemed really just Broken down, he seemed exhausted. I don't know if maybe he'll ever write anything <laughs> ever again.
0: Uh, I'm really glad that you suggested this movie because oh. it reminded me how awesome it is. <laughs> it's one of few movies uh, lately that I've given my given my full attention to while watching it at home. Anyway, right, um, and uh, I just enjoy pretty much every minute of it.
1: Yeah. It's very entertaining. something I would definitely want to watch. I've already you know already seen it a couple times, but I don't think I could find myself getting tired of it.
0: If you haven't gleaned this by now, we highly recommend it. I don't yes. know why you're still listening at this point if you <laughs> haven't watched it, but um, go watch it again and yes. uh, pick up a copy on dvd or blu-ray
1: yep you can find it uh netflix does rental but only through dvd uh you can get it also on itunes and amazon for you know pretty reasonable price just it's worth it most definitely
0: well we i didn't really introduce you at the top really okay. other than your are you <laughs> yes but, um go ahead and tell the world out there uh what what you're up to um, if there's anything online they can that y- y- you think they should check out that you're a part of, that kind of stuff.
1: Okay. Uh, well, my name is Kristen Liptonthal. I currently live in Orlando, Florida. I'm a music education major, and I really just kind of involve myself with anything music or band-related in Florida. I'm an avid movie watcher just like all of them, so I like doing little things like this where we get to talk about them. <laughs> uh, Eric and I met through the Blue Devils Drum and Bugle Corps. I was a member for two years, and he was on tour with us at that time. We became pretty good friends, and so I'm, I'm honored that you've asked me to do this. It's a lot of fun. Right, thank you. And that's no problem.
0: <laughs> and, um... Your most recent Blue Devils performance is uh, this past summer. At, mm-hmm. uh, what was that called again?
1: fellini S That's right. <laughs> um,
0: and you can uh, watch that on BlueDevils.org, or you can buy yes. the DVD Blu-ray combo set thing.
1: And it's a drum corps show about a film director, which is appropriate for what we're doing. <laughs>
0: Perhaps uh, we'll do another movie sometime. Woohoo. And uh, I'll let you pick another one since uh, you did a good job picking this one.
1: Oh, thanks. I'll peruse the movie sphere to find something.
0: Well, thank you again for joining me, Kristen. Uh, You can follow me at jkire on Twitter visit todayiwatched.com for more episodes we've got uh my solo reviews as well as more today we watched episodes hopefully there'll be m- many more today we watched um episodes in the near future uh with Kristen and others also uh, youtube.com slash today i watched um for the video version of this stuff thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and see you, see you next time,
1: time.